This is the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from October 16th by Brother Emilian Mehet, titled Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Good morning. It's great to be in the house of the Lord with you today. Uh, at this time, um, I would like to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. And uh, you may join me reading out loud in unison. Or do we have a youth? Okay. okay. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving with his dis- a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him away. You may be seated. Um, Before we begin today's study, um, uh, many times people would ask me, what is a healthy Christian? And it is sad that we would even ask such a question because a Christian is healthy by nature. You know, and uh, sometimes you interview with churches and they'll ask you, well, what is a healthy church look like? And a healthy believer look like? And, uh, you know, I've been in ministry for about 28 years, and this is true for a church or for an individual. Um, I kind of narrow it down to about four areas. Are you scripture grounded? If you look at who you are and your identity and your own mind and your own feelings and your own will and volition, are you completely standing on his word? And if you are standing on his word... We would, I would move to the next area. Are you Christ-centered? And if you are Christ-centered, are you Spirit-filled? And if you are Spirit-filled, are you Gospel-driven? And if those four elements are well and present... In your church and in your life, then hallelujah. hallelujah amen. Today, 
the Lord led me to choose a passage for you, not only for the sake of learning what this passage says, but as for the sake of an invitation for us to see a different way of learning from the living Word of God, Jesus Christ Himself. And in order to do that, we will need the help of our Lord and the Holy Spirit to leave ourselves aside and begin to not have the idea, well, what is this preacher going to say to me? And can I hear God speaking? But beginning to step from our own little needy life into his life and journey with him. So are you guys ready for that journey? Amen. 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 Um, to start with, uh, with a little context, um, there are a couple of verses that will guide us as we approach Jesus that have a very good uh, context from the Old Testament. One comes from Proverbs 14.12, and another one is from Proverbs 16.25. Now, you have guessed it, it says the same thing. And this verse says, there is a way that seems right to man. Can you attest to that? Yeah? Yeah. The problem is the second part. But its end is the way to death. And that, that is ironic. Because as we will step with Jesus, it is a very catch-22 ironic journey into this journey. Our way will literally take us to death. And in our problems, Jesus takes us to the place of his death. The sound of the cross. The most intimate and beautiful sound that echoes within our heart. And uh, let's keep that in mind as we go verse by verse. And don't be scared at the beginning. It will be word for word for a little while. I'm not going to have you here. They told me I can preach for a couple hours. So I hope you ate this morning and uh, you'll be good to go. But uh, let's start. Verse 46. And they came to Jericho. Now, and they obviously is a multitude, they came to Jericho. As I am now leaving my life behind, the moment I hear the word Jericho, there's a sound. Why? Because as I have walked with Jesus through his life, Jericho is a very important marker. Jesus now... For almost three years, this signifies the last three months of Jesus' life. Jesus lived unselfishly for the kingdom and helping others. He shared the gospel. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He fulfilled prophecies. He did miracles. And he was constantly without any help, any rest. 
We are just needy people by nature. And now he turns his face from this life that he has been witnessing to us. And he's facing what? Jerusalem. The main reason of why he came. The sound of the cross is pulling him. And he's been hinting. He's been hinting to his disciples saying, I need to go. There's something heavy on my heart that I need to do. I need to go to the cross. I need to go. Approach the way of what you understand, the way of death. Is that a journey that you want to take with your Lord? This is where his face has turned and is moving. That's what Jericho begins to tell us. Jesus is saying, I have turned my face to go as a lamb goes to the slaughter. Will you come with me? Will you walk with me? And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, now again, if you read Luke, he says, as he entered Jericho, you read Mark, he says, as he was leaving Jericho, does God's word have mistakes and errors? No. No. So how can you reconcile those two ideas? Well, by God's grace, we know that there are two Jerichos. There's a north Jericho where the rich people dwelt. And there's a southern Jericho where the regular people dwelt. Now speaking about Jericho, Jericho is one of those cities that was what? Thought to be one of the two oldest living cities in the earth's civilization. And it connected North Africa, the Middle East, and Europe. And there was a highway. It was in the middle of a desert, and it was an oasis. You know, it wasn't a mirage as you were walking through the desert, and you saw this beautiful landscape with palm trees and some green lush and water. And that's what Jericho really was. And we know about the northern part of Jericho because King Herod built his winter palace there. And it was literally probably one of the busiest highways at that time as travelers were connecting between those three parts of the world. So that is what Jericho is. There is no error in scriptures, as some may want to point out to you. And uh, it says that he is with his disciples. Now we have to look at the disciples. Who are the disciples with Jesus? You have the inner circles of James, John, and Peter. You have the 12. You have the 72 that were sent out. You have the 500. So this is something scripturally that kind of breaks down disciples for us. Important that as we walk with Jesus and enter into his story, you and I need to find ourselves 
into the story. Believe me, there's something from everyone in this audience that you and I can benefit from. But it says something else. And the great crowd. Jericho is a timeline, but it's an expression of where Jesus' heart has now turned. The disciples we know, but Jesus by now had a mega church. There was a great crowd. And the great crowd were people who said, I like the show. I like to be fed. I like the entourage. I'm constantly needed. Maybe he can provide or do something for me. This is exciting. But the Lord differentiates between the crowd, the disciples. Now obviously Jesus was there. And then he brings a third person into the audience. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So we have the disciples, the crowd, and Bartimaeus. Three audiences. Who is Bartimaeus? He's a beggar. If you're a beggar, where would you want to be? Don't you want to be where there's the most traffic? Let's see. Do you know any people they want to place themselves in a position where they can maximize their earnings and intake? Or is that foreign to humanity? <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, oh, I, I'm sure you can associate. So let's not speak that badly about Bartimaeus, this blind beggar. Because he achieved the highest that he could do. He placed himself in that position where most people could come by and, you know, there was a greater chance for him to make money. So he placed himself in the best possible place. But audience-wise, I see three groups of people. People who get things done. Jesus and the disciples. The crowd is people who like to see other people get things done. And then people who say, well, something's happening around me. What's going on? How come I'm out of the loop? Am I one of these guys that I see things happening around me? I hear of things happening around What's going on? You may find yourself sometime in your life in that position. You may think, you know, I'm following, I'm walking with Jesus, but you may want other people get things done. Or you may be in the thick of things as things are happening. Interesting how our Lord Jesus begins to set up the scene for you and I today. Timaeus here, given to us twice, Bar meaning son, so Bartimaeus and the son of Timaeus, 
It's simply the same thing. Why is the author giving us to us twice? Well, the Greek would tell us Timaeus is associated with pleasure. And bounty and abundance. But it's not the Greek that's really influential here because Bar is son of in Hebrew. And Timaeus in Hebrew means son of the unclean one. Son of the unclean one. Now here's where we stop in our tracks and we realize. Why would God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus give us this story? We better backtrack a little bit for the context. What's the issue with the disciples? We see now that just prior to this, they've had a huge argument. And it's an argument that has been given to us at least three to four times. And Jesus gave them no solution, but only gave them a guiding path for this problem. It is so funny how Jesus has been the answer and providing everything, but this one issue keeps coming up. If you know the context of something that's before this, you know what this issue is about. What is this issue about? Who's going to be the greatest? What does this issue mean? It means that the biggest problem hasn't been dealt with. What is the chief end sin in a person's life? It starts with P and it ends with E and it's a five letter word. Pride. Pride is the chief end seen in a human's life. It feeds self and it expresses itself through lust. Secondary, most powerful, sinful presence in a human life. So pride, and this, if this is such a big issue, why wouldn't Jesus deal with it? Well, I think he's dealing it with it. Remember, how is he dealing with it? Because there was no solution that Jesus could deal with pride until they faced the cross. Now, let me give you the background of these disciples. These guys love the Lord. These guys left their work, left their family behind. These guys have preached the word, have baptized, have cast out demons, have healed people, have seen Jesus walk on water, have been illuminated by the Holy Spirit, have been given power by Jesus' authority to do ministry. And Jesus is saying to them, I'm going to the cross. These are people who love the Lord. 
And yet they keep arguing who's the greatest. And even the mom of James and John, what does she do? She comes to Jesus and says, Can they sit one on your right hand and one in your left hand in the kingdom? Here's the mother who's a further disciple, maybe one of the 500. Well, Jesus simply tells them, whoever wants to be the greatest, he is the one who is the servant of all. But let me ask you this. Who was walking with Jesus towards the cross? Well, I hate to say this to you, but Jesus is alone by the time he gets to the cross. He loses the mega church. The mega church gets bigger when he enters Jerusalem and afterwards he begins to dissipate. And when he's teaching in the temple, he says, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, all of his disciples except the twelve leave. And Jesus turns towards them and says, do you also want to leave? Man, what kind of a pastor is he? And then the pastor is struck and the sheep are scattered. And they all betray him. Not a great record for a pastor to lose, to lose the megachurch. Isn't it, huh? We're trying to make all sorts of ways to have people come in the church or keep people in the church. But I'm wondering if that's the way of Jesus. If that's the way of Christ. Hmm. So the guy who says something is happening around me, I'm stuck. I don't know what's happening. Hey, please tell me. Now, obviously, Jesus with the entourage, the disciples trying to kind of be a hedge of protection around him so he won't be pressed, the crowd coming. You know, we're probably looking at hundreds of minimum, but probably a few thousand. They're marching towards Jerusalem. Guess what's happening? They're not really adding disciples in this way. This is the last healing that Jesus will do before the cross. The last healing. There's one more miracle where he, you know, speaks against the tree and he will die. But this is the last healing that we will see here take place. The crowd gets bigger though. On his way to Jerusalem, the crowd gets bigger. Do you think it's because of this sound? The nails being pounded into him on the cross. They are in the heart of Christ. And he says, well, let me at least share with my own disciples. But they're too worried about who's going to be the greatest. And now they've been all taken together with the crowd 
but their well-intended purpose. We're taking Jesus to Jerusalem to make him king. Why do you tell me about the cross? No. No, that should not happen to you. Get behind me, Satan. That should not, you know. This is, uh, this is one of the inner three. The other two have not failed. You're looking at Peter, the intimate one with Jesus, and James and John, the inner three. And how do they pop in? Oh, where is our standing in the kingdom? But Jesus is saying, will you come with me? Were we good disciples? Are we truly concerned about the things of the Lord? Remember who those disciples are. They left everything behind. They did a great sacrifice. They loved the Lord. As much as they can. With their mind. With their emotions. With their volition and will. They loved the Lord. But they're overtaken. By their good intentions. Do you know that there could be people in the church today? Deacons, elders, pastors who love the Lord. And may even have good intentions. And don't realize that they are standing in the way of Christ. And brothers and sisters, you and I may be one of them, one of those guys. And we have good intentions. Do you think now this story is about the blindness of the beggar? It's about the blindness of the disciples. Jesus has to teach them another lesson. It's about our blindness. We're blind. The cross is the most powerful surgery instrument in the universe. And Jesus is our soul surgeon. He can heal our ears. Heal our eyes. Heal our hearts. Restore our hearts. Break them down and make them new. I misspoke. He can't heal our hearts. He replaces them. Yes, Jeremiah tells us, the heart is most wicked and deceitful. It is beyond repair, beyond healing. So that's why people ask you, well, have you been regenerated? Have you been born again? Because when Christ and his gospel invades us and we go through the repentance process, there's a beautiful renewal that happens within us. It is not an actual healing of our old heart. But it is a regeneration. And that's why that language is being used. But, not, you know, not aside, this is not part of the story. But we all know that who know the Lord. And when he heard that he was Jesus of Nazareth, please... I want to give the benefit of the doubt. 
I want to say it was the crowd who said it's Jesus of Nazareth, not a disciple. But look what they tell him, these guys. Jesus of Nazareth, just Jesus, an important guy of this town. Please look at the difference. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David. The blind man is calling Jesus the son of God and the Messiah. The ones who walk with Jesus are putting Jesus' down. They're just calling him, hey, you know, this is Eddie of Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska. It's different when, you know, his wife would come to you and say, you know, this is Eddie, the adopted son of Almighty God. You know, wow, you say, wow, look at that wife, how she uh, speaks about her husband. That's something new. That's something different. He's, the people who walk with him are putting the Lord down. They're too preoccupied with their own thoughts and their own ideas. And their own plans. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus is moving towards the instrument of mercy. And many rebuked him. Hey, you filthy, unclean, you know, unblessed person. Don't bother us. We have big plans. Get away. You know, you're not good enough. You look, look at your condition. We have big plans. We're going to make him king and he's going to conquer and lead the whole world. And we're going to be in charge over the whole world. How about that? Can there be a better plan than that? Don't, you know, don't bother us. This is a small thing that, you know, we have no time to deal with you. And you're not so important. Have mercy on me. Many rebuked him. And Jesus stopped. Funny thing how Yeshua, Joshua, the same name as Jesus, in Joshua's time, the greatest miracle was the sun stood still. But that was the little sun. Now, around the same area, Jesus stops. He stands still. Just a fact here. And says, call him. Which makes me feel better because I'm thinking the disciples are here and it's the crowd. At least it was the crowd who presented Jesus in that lowering title. Call him. And you can see the, the crowd saying, oh yeah, Jesus, we were just about to bring him to you. <laughs> Because that's the way we are. Yeah, we were just about to bring him to you. Yeah, that's right. Because we like to be people pleasers as long as you do what we like. Because if you're not going to do what we like, we're going to leave you. And that's what they will do. But here's a chance for us to have another spectacle too. 
they kind of grown dull. They had seen so many that now their eyes are on Jesus, being, making him a leader. But it wasn't about Jesus being made a leader. It was about them conquering the world and getting wealthy and having power. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart. Get up. He is calling you. Interesting that they're followers. They do exactly what Jesus tells them. What are they really doing? They're expressing their blindness. I'm showing you that I'm a Jesus follower and I do what he does. But Jesus' heart is for the cross. And at that level, they're not connected at all. Man looks at the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. I wonder if Jesus could see through the disciples and the crowd. I think all too well. These are people, this is Peter who says, even though they, these may leave you, not I. Oh, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you, but I have prayed for you. Before the rooster crows twice, you will have denied me three times. And you can't say Peter wasn't fully convinced in himself that that was true. He was trying to be as truthful as possible. Isn't that enough? That's the best that I can do. And Jesus saying, no. That's the invitation sound of the way of Christ. Amen. But there's a, a way that seems right to man. Why doesn't Jesus even speak? Do you think Jesus doesn't know what's happening? He's going to deal with the way of man. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. In the last days, people's love will grow cold. A good example of our society. Does Anchorage have any beggars? I've seen some since I've come around, so maybe I shouldn't. But everywhere you go, you see beggars. Let me just tell you about this society. They cared about the beggars. And if the beggar was legitimate, they would give them a striped cloak so people would know these guys are legitimate beggars. Um, is our society that closely involved to take the time to do the background check, to be involved with them, to see how they are, and to have a marking which tells us these guys are legitimate beggars. 
but we've, we're a lot more advanced technologically than that society. I don't know about the measure of the heart and the love aspect. Because we don't care about them who's legitimate or not or who's in dire need or not. Nobody tells us and we have no, and we go about our own way. Interesting. He threw off his cloak. But what does that mean? Hey, I'm in the best place to make my living. This is where the best cash for me can flow and I can live. And I throw away the very object that keeps me alive and warm. I wonder if the way of Christ... is in the heart of Bartimaeus. Pastor, you're kind of guessing. I am guessing, but I'm also kind of thinking it is. But we'll have to wait to see if that's true or not. We want God's word to give testimony of that, not my intuition or yours. But he threw away his cloak. It reminds me of this story of uh, Emma. Emma, what was her name? Uh, Emma Nepper, and the guy is interviewing her, and she's 100 years old, and her husband's 104 years old, and they're like, wow, you know, you've lived this long, and, you know, Emma, how many children do you have? And uh, she says, uh, none, not yet anyway. <laughs> but I love that expectancy. There's an expectancy there from Emma Nepper. And she tells the guy, not yet, at 100 or 104, I forget how old she was. You know, and this is, this, this is an expectancy here, uh, because he throws up his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Faith. Is our faith clouded with our way, with our plans, with our good intentions? Or is it full of expectancy? Faith sees the invisible, believes the impossible, and receives the incredible. Amen. Again, faith sees the invisible, believes the impossible, receives the incredible. No, putting him on a throne and making him king is a lot more doable. Seeing him die on the cross and leaving us empty says, I don't have the faith to go with that plan, Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. Also, if you're here today, you cannot depend on your wife's faith, on your husband's faith, on anyone else's faith. Amen. 
definition of faith tells us it is from Hebrews that what is faith? Yes. Good. And that's a good definition. But there's also another definition. From Stephen of faith. They're stoning him. Paul is there. They're stoning him. And he gazes and he says, I see the son seated at the right hand side of the father. Well, what about Paul, Saul at that time, and all these other guys? How come they can't see? Faith is seeing what the eyes can't see. Now I'm beginning to wonder what is the blind man seeing? And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? This is not for Bartimaeus. This is for the disciples showing them. If you want to be the greatest. You got to be the servant of all. Such a great event. To go to the cross. To be involved in the greatest event. In creation. And you're taking the time. To deal with the filth of society. Yes. Jesus walked the walk. We're pretty good at talking the talk. I noticed that because I'm a pastor. Unfortunately. Jesus walked the walk. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Well, wait, I mean, I think he's seeing pretty well. He's actually seeing better than the ones who can't see around him. Rabbi, this title is used in the New Testament only once in this way. Because it's like a Lord Master, not just like a teacher. Rabboni. Can you guess who's used by? I, get, I give you a hint. It's in the Garment of Gethsemane. Mary Magdalene used it. Lord Master. How can Jesus be his Lord? When this guy clearly up till now, his need and maximizing his intake of money was his number one priority in life. And he had found the best place possible for this. And he says, no. That action of throwing off his clothes, the expectation, now the testimony Jesus hadn't died, hasn't resurrected from the dead, but he is already his Lord, his teacher and master. Hmm. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. Well, 
it will also be a point of faith that the blind disciples need to go through as they approach the cross. But I don't think they were getting it at this time. Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately, just as is the usual case in Mark, it seems like Jesus liked to do his miracles immediately. He recovered his sight and followed him on the way. What is the command of the Lord? Go your way. What is Bartimaeus' way? There's no more I. There's no more my way. Go your way means I'm following Jesus. And he's following him to the cross. But Jesus told him, go your way. What is Bartimaeus doing? My way, there's no more my way. If you would come after me, deny self, pick up your cross daily, and follow me. Wow. Bartimaeus was in the kingdom. Well, there goes my cloak. No, Jesus, let me go back and get my cloak. Let me go back and get my cloak. I have a business that I need. Let me go back. Go your way. There's no other way for the blind guy who now can see. He says, wow, now you can see. I wonder what this world has to offer to me now that I was blind. Is that what Bartimaeus did? Let me enjoy the world now differently. The cross hadn't happened. But it was already a reality in Bartimaeus. The son of the unclean one. The Lord will use the weak as an example for the strong and the poor for the rich and the lowly for the this is not really about Bartimaeus this is the love of our Lord for his disciples for you and I today I have to ask you, are there arguments in your midst? Are there arguments? Is there tension in your life? Are you divided with your wife? Are there arguments in church? Because there's no division in the way of Christ. There's no division with his way. 
Do you have good intentions? Do you think you have a good plan? The Lord won't say your plan is bad. But the Lord says, this is my way. I wonder why now Paul says to us. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Now, you probably would have not liked Paul. Because this guy was serious. He was fat, short, bald-headed, hooked nose, boring preacher. His eyes were, you know, dripping. And, you know, he preached for hours. And he would come here and get exalted and praise God and tell him the power of the cross of Jesus in my life. And say, brothers and sisters, we're not living today. I want to be encouraged by every one of you. I'm going to sit right here in the front row. Why don't you guys take turns and tell me how the, how the power of the cross of Jesus encouraged me with that reality from your life? So scholars are telling me, well, Paul would have not been hired at any church. In the United States. <laughs> How about that? Now this story is for the apostles who failed, who betrayed Jesus. Who couldn't stay because the shepherd was struck. And the sheep were scattered. But why then does the Lord still call us to his way? What will his way do to you and me? These are guys who you understand they were afraid. They were like you and I. They had feelings. They had, they had fears. They had anxiety. They had worry. I wonder what that cross did for them. I have a video that depicts what the cross of Christ brought to some of the more closer disciples. And I, I limited it to the 12. Can we play that video right now? 33 AD, Galilee. The resurrected Jesus commands the 11 disciples to the ends of the earth. The disciples and the early church leaders follow the command and spread the gospel to the end of their lives. 34 AD, Jerusalem. Stephen, the first martyr, stoned. 44 AD, Judea, James the Greater, beheaded. Ethiopia, Matthew, killed by sword. 61 AD, Barnabas, stoned in Salonica. 63 AD, Jerusalem, James the Lesser, thrown from the temple, stoned and then clubbed. 64 AD, Rome, Peter, crucified. 65 AD, 
Beirut, Simon and Jude hacked to death. On Mania, Bartholomew skinned alive and beheaded. 67 AD, Rome, Paul beheaded. 68 AD, Alexandria, Mark dragged through the streets. 69 AD, Patrice, Andrew crucified. 70 AD, Mylapore, Thomas speared. Jerusalem, Jude shot with arrows. 80 AD, Jerusalem, Matthias stoned and beheaded. Heropolis, Philip crucified. 84 AD, Boatia, Luke crucified on an olive tree. 100 AD, Ephesus, John, the last disciple, dies of old age after surviving boiling oil and exile to Patmos. For 70 years, the men who walked with Jesus willingly faced gruesome executions and torture. Not one backed down or walked away from their faith. The mega church became zero. Now he says, none back down. None back down. And Jesus wasn't even with them. What do you think? Was there an impact? Do you want power in your life? Do you want the fear of death to go away? Anxiety, worry? Do you want vision? Do you want direction? Do you want to see? Do you want to hear? Well, I think Paul knew how to do that. I want to know nothing among you. Nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Is that the core of who you are? Is that at the core of this church? Is that at the core of your association? Is that at the core of this city, of your household? Are you backing down? Can someone who's truly experienced the cross of Jesus, do you think they'll back down? I tell you no. Because my great-grandfather was put in jail and tortured. My great-grandma. My grandfather. My grandma. My dad. And right now in North Africa, they like to say we have Christian barbecue. They go into the villages and you have to make a decision whether you go to church. Because in the small villages, you can have the Islam gorilla come and they'll mar the doors and they'll burn you alive. And they'll say, this is Christian barbecue. And hey, you know what, honey? I'll go to church, but you, you and our kids, why don't you stay behind? 
Some people have it tougher following Jesus than we do. And their testimonies ring loud to you and I today. Missionaries, pastors, they're in jail crying to God right now. But we're arguing in our church about our own ways. I'll end with this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do they do it? Looking. Looking. Not being blind. Looking, enduring at the foot of the cross to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. May that encourage you and bless you and know where your journey ends as we will gaze at Jesus, our Lord and Savior, at the foot of the cross. Let's bow our heads and pray. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, visit our website at gbcak.org.